High in the hills overlooking Arizona's Verde Valley, a tiny town filled with history sits like a mother bird nesting over her eggs. Except this egg is a billion dollar deposit of copper. And the mother bird, a brave and raucous mix of miners, smelter workers, freighters, gamblers, bootleggers, saloon keepers, prostitutes, and preachers. I'm Jason Epperson, and this is the See America podcast. From coast to coast, we see America one mile at a time, discovering stops along the way that are eclectic, historic, ridiculous, breathtaking, inspiring, and humbling. This week, the mining town of Jerome, Arizona. This great destination is brought to you by Road Trippers, America's number one road trip planning app. Road Trippers helps people discover the world around them in an entirely new way by streamlining discovery, planning, booking, and navigation. Plan your unique journey at roadtrippers.com, then use the app as your ultimate travel guide and navigator. Adventure doesn't come from the fastest route. Start exploring at roadtrippers.com. Jerome sits upon Cleopatra Hill, a mountain really, in central Arizona, 20 miles northeast of Prescott, the capital of the new Arizona Territory in 1863. Camp Verde, a U.S. Army post after 1865, was about 15 miles southeast, and the Army built a wagon road connecting Camp Verde with Prescott to the west. But like most of American history, the story of Jerome begins much earlier, with Native Americans. Tribes had inhabited this area for centuries and were the first to discover the rich mineral deposits. They used the copper metal for dye to paint their faces, clothes, and blankets. The Spanish enticed the native people to lead them to their mine, which was a little more than a 16-foot cave-like pit. But the Spanish weren't interested in copper. In their quest for gold and silver, they soon abandoned the area. The inhabitants of the valley were left alone by white settlers until 1850. After the Mexican-American War ended in 1848 and the region became part of the United States, more and more Anglo-Americans began to arrive in the area. In 1863, gold was discovered near Prescott, and thousands of miners flooded the region. In an attempt to protect themselves from the encroaching white settlers, the Native Americans who had previously been peaceful began to band together to safeguard their land and food supplies. Hostilities broke out with the settlers, and after the Civil War, the U.S. Cavalry was sent in to conquer them. Those who were left of the tribes were sent to the Camp Verde Reservation. The Camp Verde Reservation stretched for miles along both sides of the Verde River, northwest of Camp Verde. And yes, it is pronounced Verde, not Verde like it's spelled, or like the green that it's named for. Cleopatra Hill, with its untold riches, lied within the reservation, but the tribes were forced by the federal government to move to another reservation in 1877, opening the Verde Valley up for mining and settlement. With the story of how Jerome came to be, here's Abigail Trebu. The steep slopes of Cleopatra Hill may seem like an odd place for a town, but that didn't stop the intrepid miners who flocked to the area. 
The first mining claims were staked in 1876, and it was discovered that Cleopatra Hill was rich in high-grade copper ore. The mining camp of Jerome precariously hugged the northeast slope of the mountain. The town was named after a wealthy financier and officer of the new United Verde Copper Company, Eugene Jerome. Eugene was a cousin of Jenny Jerome, the mother of Winston Churchill. But Jerome never did see his namesake town. A metal water tank that had been hauled from Prescott by mule train in 1879 became the center of the young camp. The first wooden building was a two-story saloon and bordello, built next to the water tank by a madam named Nora Butter Brown. The United Verde Copper Company began operating on Cleopatra Hill in 1883. United Verde built a smelter fueled by coke that proved to be wildly successful with profits of 1,500 to 2,000 per day. By the end of December, the works at Jerome had been operating for four months. In this time, United Verde processed around 5,000 tons of ore, yielding 200 tons of copper bullion, along with lesser amounts of gold and silver. Over the next 70 years, the mine produced a billion dollars in copper, silver, and gold. A wagon road was built from Flagstaff to Jerome, and the tent city grew into a mining town of wooden buildings. Jerome had a post office operating inside a local store by 1885 and four saloons by 1887. United Verde employed over 300 men by 1890 as miners, smelters, workers, and teamsters. The company and the town installed electrical lighting in 1890. Jerome was called the wickedest town in America by the San Francisco Examiner newspaper in 1899. A Phoenix newspaper described the town in September 1899 as having one beggarly-looking church and at least 16 saloons and more going up. Multiple catastrophic fires destroyed Jerome, but the richness of the mines assured that it would be rebuilt each time. The April 1894 fire began in the early morning hours. The townspeople were woken up by the sound of gunshots fired by a bartender in a burning saloon. Heavy winds made fighting the flames futile. A second fire that year burned what was left of the downtown. A blaze on Christmas Eve 1897 burned down a block in the notorious Tenderloin District, including a bordello, four saloons, and a boarding house restaurant. Another fire hit in September 1898, and in the words of the Phoenix newspaper, its fiery breath blew Jerome off the face of the earth. At least eight people died in the blaze. The fire of May 1899 started in the Leland Hotel and spread quickly through downtown and a new hospital. Saloons, restaurants, stores, a bowling alley, a blacksmith shop, and a barber shop were destroyed or damaged, along with dozens of small wooden dwellings. That year, the town, incorporated as the fourth largest in Arizona, new building codes and a fire department helped keep the town intact. Several new mining companies bought claims in the district during the 1890s. 
and Jerome first received rail service in 1895. The United Verde and Pacific was dubbed the crookedest line in the world from all the twists and turns that were required to navigate the steep terrain. During World War I, demand for copper raised its prices and Jerome's mines were busy. Miners from all over the world came to work. Underground fires burned in some of the miles of mine tunnels under and near the town for years. In 1905, as water from recent flooding seeped into parts of the United Verde mine that was burning, an explosion occurred. A dozen miners waiting to be raised 300 feet to the surface during a shift change were killed or severely injured by the hot steam and gases. The fires eventually got too widespread to be avoided, and underground mining was phased out in 1918 in favor of pit mining. Jerome's precarious position on the steep mountain slope would cause many problems throughout its history. Landslides and cracked building foundations were common occurrences. The jail building was jostled off its foundation by a powerful blast in 1938 and slid downhill. The jail still stands where it ended up, across the road and 225 feet from where it was built. Copper production peaked in 1929, but the depression and low gra- but the depression and low-grade ore deposits reversed the fortunes of the town. The Little Daisy Mine shut down in 1938. Phelps Dodge took over the United Verde Mine in 1935, but loss of profits brought the operation and Jerome's mining days to an end in 1953. Jerome's population reached 15,000 in the 1920s, but by the end of the copper mining era, Jerome nearly became a ghost town with only 50 residents. The Phelps Dodge and the United Verde Exploration Companies owned most of the land under the town, many lots and buildings in town, and the schools and hospitals. They began bulldozing buildings in the town, beginning with the four-story T.F. Miller building that stood since 1899, Local kids were paid a penny per brick to whack the mortar off the bricks for reuse. An enterprising group of locals that stuck around formed the Jerome Historical Society and halted demolition of the town's buildings in 1956. They successfully marketed the town for tourists as the world's largest ghost city. The society opened the mine museum and gift shop on Main Street in the 1950s, and it is still open. A new counterculture generation of artists began repopulating the town in the 1960s. Today, Jerome is very much alive with writers, artists, artisans, musicians, historians, and families. They form a peaceful, colorful, thriving community built on a rich foundation of history and lore. In 1965, the Douglas Mansion, built in 1916 by James S. Douglas on a hill above his Little Daisy Mine, became an Arizona State Park. Douglas designed the house as a hotel for mining officials and investors, as well as for his own family. It featured a wine cellar, billiard room, marble shower, steam heat, and much ahead of its time, a central vacuum system. 
Douglas was most proud of the fact that the house was constructed of adobe bricks that were made on the site. He also built the Little Daisy Hotel near the mine as a dormitory for the miners. The concrete structure still stands. The former home is now a museum devoted to the history of the Jerome area and the Douglas family. The museum features historical exhibits of photographs, artifacts, and minerals, in addition to a video presentation and a 3D model of the town with its underground mines. One room, the Douglas Library, is restored as a period room. There are more displays outside along with a picnic area offering a beautiful panoramic view of the Verde Valley. Today, Jerome's eclectic shop owners open their doors for the tourist trade and put their wares out on the sidewalk. Wineries offer tastings, fine restaurants serve excellent food, and boutique hotels offer overnight stays. This episode of See America was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, with narration by Abigail Trebu. If you like the show, we'd love a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'd also like to invite you to follow the See America podcast on Instagram and Facebook and join the See America Facebook group, where we chat about some of America's greatest road trip destinations. If you're a national park lover, we hope you'll also check out the America's National Parks podcast. Or come listen to Abigail and me talk about our life on the road with our three boys on the RV Miles podcast. This great destination was brought to you by Road Trippers, America's number one road trip planning app. Plan your unique journey at roadtrippers.com, then use the app as your ultimate travel guide and navigator. Adventure doesn't come from the fastest route. Start exploring at roadtrippers.com. <laughs>